Verse 7 says, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Together, verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Well, we're in the season of gift giving, and so the title of our message this evening is Gifts Fit for a King. Gifts Fit for a King. King Jesus was born that day, and we're going to look at the gifts that were presented to him and bring, draw out some applications from that. Lord, we are so thankful tonight to be gathered here safely. We thank you for getting us most of the way through 2021 and, Lord, allowing us to be present this evening. Be with us, Lord. Bless us. We pray if there's anyone here tonight that has not yet put their full faith and trust in the great uh, sacrifice of salvation, they've never received the gift of eternal life, Lord, this Christmas season, may they open their heart and receive that gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's that time of the year, gift-giving and gift-getting. My, my children are anxiously awaiting tomorrow morning when they rip off a bunch of decorative paper and feast their eyes on clothes. That's what they're looking forward to is clothes. Okay, um, some clothes, I'm sure they'll get some clothes, but, you know, mostly stuff that a, a, a 10 and 12-year-old child would want. As a kid, I loved Christmas. I, I loved the getting. I'm not going to hide that. I looked forward to Christmas morning. I looked forward to how many gifts are under the tree with my name on it. And my parents that are here this evening, they're going to keep me honest, not let me exaggerate any details. But uh, they would usually wait and put all the gifts under the tree the evening uh, after we had gone to bed. How many of you parents wait to get all the gifts out after your kids are in bed? On Christmas Eve, how many of you just stick them all out there as soon as you get them and let the excitement build? How many of you don't understand the question? Okay, um, so um, we would wake up, uh, and there were seven children in my family, so we'd wake up Christmas morning, and I mean there would be things everywhere. We look forward to getting the gifts, and how many gifts have my name on it, and and and, and what are they, and what am I going to get? Um, uh, most everything we do on Christmas has some tie back into the Christmas story, and this is definitely true with gift giving. Now, uh, this evening we'll be looking at the wise men who came from the east bearing gifts for Jesus. Now, more important than getting on Christmas is we've learned, especially if you're an adult here, you've learned that giving on Christmas is the far better joy. What did Jesus say? He said, it is more blessed to... Give than to receive. And I, I loved the getting. I really think uh, now I enjoy Christmas more than I did when I was a child. I, I love to 
sit there on Christmas morning, whether I'm at my home or in the home of my parents and watching everyone else, I love to just sit there and look at the joy on everyone's face as they open up those presents. Now, we do a lot of gift giving in our Western culture. In fact, according to the National Retail Foundation, the average U.S. household in 2020 spent $998 on Christmas. $998. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I wonder how much of that went on credit cards. Um, That's a lot of money. As we look back at the first Christmas, we find a much humbler beginning than $1,000 being dropped on Christmas festivities. I'd, I'd like to draw out two attributes about God this evening as we uh, look at the Christmas story. I'd like to look at these two attributes and then tie them back in. The first attribute I'd like to t- uh, talk about with God is that God loves to do the impossible. He loves to do the impossible. He loves it when we say, oh, that could never happen, that's impossible. You remember Sarah in the Old Testament, the um, angel of the Lord told Abraham that he and Sarah would have a baby, and Sarah laughed in her heart, and God said, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah said, I didn't laugh, and uh, they ended up naming their son Laughter. So it all worked out in the end, but God loves to do the impossible. And uh, the second uh, attribute about God I'd like to pull out is that God loves humility. He loves humility. First um, Peter 5, verse 5 says, Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the, cr- the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Many have wondered why God would come to earth and be born in a damp, drafty barn to peasant parents and spend his first night wrapped in rags used to clean animals or or swaddling clothes. Well, when you understand that God loves to do the impossible, you understand that God put His Son in a virgin girl. That's impossible. That's never happened before, and it will never happen again. When you understand that God loves humility, you understand why God sent Jesus to be born and laid in the most humble of conditions. He was laid in a, in a stable barn feeding trough to parents who were, in the grand scheme of society and culture, they were nobodies. They were nobodies. His, we looked at this Sunday morning, but his birth was not announced to the elite of society or the religious elites. His birth was announced to shepherds out in the middle of the, out in the, middle of the fields and uh, shepherds whose testimony of what was said would be quickly dismissed and Brushed off. God loves to do the impossible, and God loves humility. I, I propose that just as the wise men gave their gifts to King Jesus, we should likewise consider what we could give to our King and our Savior this Christmas season. Let's let's look at three thoughts this evening around the topic: gifts fit for a king. We'll be looking at the story of the wise men traveling from the east, coming to see Jesus. Let's look at the first thought here. Let's notice the presence from the Magi. The presence from the Magi. Look with me at Matthew chapter 2 in your Bibles. and Look down at verse number 11. The Bible says, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And in verse 11, I see two types of gifts that were presented 
to King Jesus. Notice the first type of gift. Notice they gave the tangible. The tangible. These magi had traveled quite a way to get to Bethlehem where Jesus was. And when they arrived, they, they came bearing gifts fit for uh, the coming Messiah, fit for the Christ, fit for the promised one. So what were the gifts and what were the meaning? What meanings did they have? The first gift the Bible mentions is the gift of gold. And I note here that the reason why they gave gold is because gold was a gift given to a king. Gold represented royalty. Some synonyms for uh, uh, royalty or gold would be precious, uh, jewelry, wealth. These are things we think of when we think of gold. We think of someone who's wealthy. We think of someone who's sporting jewelry. We think of that which is a precious Metal, And we know that gold is linked back to royalty. In fact, King Solomon accrued exactly 666 talents of gold every year. And you say, how much is that? We don't talk in terms of talents, but 666 talents of gold in today's U.S. dollar is $1.3 billion every year. $1.3 billion of gold he received in revenue every year. That's not counting the other precious metals. That's not counting all of the other sources of income that he had. But King Solomon, uh, the son of King David, Jesus, a descendant of both King David and King Solomon, the wise men come from the east bearing gifts. They, they bear gifts presented to a king. They bear the gift of gold. We see that not only do they bring gold, but they brought the gift of frankincense. And while gold is a symbol of royalty, frankincense is a symbol of deity, of deity. Uh, uh, Take your Bibles quickly over to Isaiah chapter number 60. Isaiah 60. uh, If you brought your Bible this evening, Isaiah 60 and uh, verse number 6. If these wise men knew the book of Isaiah, then they knew exactly what Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 6 would say. Now, they didn't have chapter and verse markings like we do back then, but they would have studied and they would have known exactly what uh, this verse says. Look there with me. It says, The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense. Incense, that's what frankincense is. And they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. You see, the wise men bringing gold and frankincense, this was prophesied by Isaiah that these gifts would be brought on backs of camels and would be given to the, the promised child, the Messiah, the Christ, the, the, the God wrapped in flesh. You say, was Jesus a man? Yes, Jesus was 100% a man. Was Jesus God? Yes, Jesus was 100% God. You say, how could He be both? Listen, You don't have to be able to wrap your mind around it to understand it. I'm glad there are some things about God that are beyond my ability to wrap my mind around. He is the infinite being and we are finite beings. And my friend, if you try to wrap finite around infinite, you're going to fail every time. There are some aspects about God we're just never going to get, we're never going to understand. But God, deity, born on earth, the the Christ child born amongst us. Why incense? Well, back in 2016, here in this pulpit on a Sunday morning, I preached a series of sermons on the Old Testament sacrifices 
out of Leviticus. We looked at the five Old Testament sacrifices. And a quick search for the word frankincense takes you back to those sacrifices in Leviticus where the priest would use this perfume during this ceremony. Now, Jesus is our great high priest. He's our great high priest. By the way, Jesus is the final priest needed uh, to uh, intercede between God and man. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, listen closely. The Bible says, For there is one God and one mediator between man and God, uh, excuse me, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You don't need another priest. Why? Because Jesus is our priest. I heard someone say one time that the first time God came, He came as a Prophet. The next time Jesus comes, he will come as our king. And so God, God, Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. By the way, he's the only figure in all of Scripture to, to, to fulfill all three roles. Prophet, priest, and king. Now, where is Jesus right now? Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he is interceding on behalf of me and you. He is our high priest. There's a reason why I am not called Father Lejeune. I'm called Pastor Lejeune because I am not a priest. I don't need to go to heaven on your behalf. Uh, You can go to heaven on your own behalf. Uh, I don't have to go to heaven and get your sins cleared before God the Father. In fact, I have no more authority in heaven as a pastor than you do. You can go to heaven and Jesus Christ is your high priest. Why the incense? Why the incense? Because Jesus was represented as deity. He was represented as our high priest. The high priest from heaven come down to man below. So we see the gifts the wise men brought. They brought gold, a symbol of his royalty. We see frankincense, a symbol of his deity. And then, oddly enough, they bring a gift that must have left everyone scratching their head that saw it. They brought the gift of myrrh. Myrrh. So we've seen Gold, royalty, we've seen frankincense, deity, but what about myrrh? Well, myrrh is a symbol of suffering. Suffering. Take your Bibles, if you would, over to John chapter number 19. John chapter number 19. We started out in Matthew. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. There's four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, and John is the fourth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, you, you find... This substance of myrrh around the person of Jesus three times in Scripture. Here in Matthew chapter 2, at his birth, the three wise men, or the wise men rather, present to him three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In, in Mark chapter 15, you're turning to John 19. Let me read Mark 15 verse 23. Jesus is hanging on the cross. The Bible says, and they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. Jesus, on the cross, he said, I thirst, I thirst. And so they took vinegar and they took myrrh and they mixed them together and they put them on a sponge and they put that sponge on a stick and they lifted that up to Jesus because it was supposed to be sort of a painkiller there on the cross to satisfy his thirst and he would not drink of that. But you see myrrh at the birth of Jesus. You see myrrh at the death of Jesus. Now look at John chapter 19 and look at verse number 39. The Bible says, And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths with the spice as the manner 
of the Jews is to bury. After Jesus was dead, they took him down off the cross. Nicodemus, who we find in John 3, being told you must be born again. Nicodemus was there. Joseph of Arimathea, they used his tomb. He was probably there. They took Jesus off the cross, and there was myrrh used with some other spices to prepare his body to be wrapped in linen clothes for burial. There Jesus is, a a, a child. Uh, Just a small guy, uh, maybe around a year old, six months to a year and a half old, somewhere in that range when the Magi, the wise men arrive, they come with uh, gifts of gold. That one was understood. Uh, Frankincense, that one was understood. But the myrrh, the myrrh represented the suffering, the suffering. Now, at Christmas time, we like to think of things that are festive and happy. And we put lights on our houses and lights on our trees and We have Christmas decor everywhere, and many of you, like me, have had Christmas music playing in your car. How many of you are like me, and you are a firm believer that Christmas music should not start until after Thanksgiving? How many of you here start playing Christmas music in July? Okay, all right. Yeah, you're the ones that get on my nerves. Amen. it's that time of the year, and we think of happy things, right? Kids are bouncing around Christmas Eve and cannot wait for Christmas morning and the, the happiness, the joy. And Listen, there was a lot to celebrate the day Jesus was born, but please don't miss the meaning of Christmas. Jesus did not just come to earth to be born to give us a date on the calendar for uh, 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 stores to make back their money so they could be in existence one more year. Uh, Jesus was not born here on earth to give us a reason to buy a bunch of decorations to put in our house and get together with family and eat ham and mashed potatoes and gravy and green beans. Jesus was born on earth because we were sinful and we were in trouble and we were heading uh, to a place of condemnation. We were heading to a place called hell. Well, that's the part a lot of people don't want to hear and think about. But my friend, Jesus Christ came to earth because we were in trouble. We were in great trouble. You see, when God put Adam and Eve on planet Earth way, way back, thousands of years ago, He made them perfect. He made them sinless. They were made in His image and His likeness. God gave them a choice between right or wrong. I hope you're listening this evening. God gave them a choice between right or wrong. You say, well, why would God do that? Why would God set them up to potentially fail Understand that if God had not put that tree in the Garden of Eden and told them not to eat of it, then they would have just simply uh, uh, been robots. They would have been robots. They would have been nothing more than just following through on, on loving God without any other option. God gave them the option because God wanted them every day to walk past that tree and choose Him instead of that tree. Well, one day Adam and Eve chose the tree over God. And when they did that, they cast all of humanity under a sin curse. You see, the word curse, the word curse carries with it the idea of, 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 of there being uh, horrible consequences coming upon you. We know the term curse words. These are words that indicate something bad happening to someone, a, a curse or a, a very bad result coming on them. The greatest curse 
that could be brought down on man was the sin curse because at the end of the sin curse is death and that death is not just a physical death. That death is an eternal death. Please listen this evening. It's an eternal death. It is an eternal separation. My friend, death does not mean termination. Death means separation. And one day, if you die in your sin, those violations of God's law, you will be separated from God for all eternity. Someone says, if God is so loving, how could He send someone to hell? And my friend, the truth is, God does not want to send anyone to hell. While God hates your sin, and He hates my sin, He loves you. Oh, He loves you so much that He spared no expense to pay your sin through His Son. God looked through heaven and He said, I need someone to pay that sin debt. Someone other than mankind. And Jesus said, I'll volunteer, I'll do it. Why was Jesus born? Because we were in trouble. We were cursed to hell. Jesus came to earth, born of a virgin. He had an earthly mother, but He had no earthly father. His heavenly Father was God in heaven. He was perfect just like His Father. He was God on earth. Thirty-three years He lived. Never told a lie. Never stole anything. Never had a lustful thought. Never ever disobeyed. Never had a rebellious moment. Never uh, uh, exploded in anger. Uh, uh, Jesus was a man who was... Uh, in every way perfect. Hebrews 4 tells us that He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He was flawless. He was sinless. My friend, I cannot die on the cross in your place. I cannot suffer in your place because I can only suffer for my own sin and my own unrighteousness. But Jesus, Jesus could suffer in my place. Jesus could die in your place because He was sinless. God in heaven, God, His Father in heaven looked ahead in time and He saw my life and He saw your life. He saw our birth dates. He saw our death dates. He saw every sin that would be committed during our life. He gathered those sins together. 2 Corinthians 5 says that uh, God hath made Him, Jesus, sin for us who knew no sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. How much love does it take for God to take your sin and place it on His Son and then take the righteousness of His Son and offer to place it on you? Boy, what a deal. What a deal. What is Christmas all about? You see, they showed up that day with tangible gifts. Gold, royalty, frankincense, deity. But the, the purpose of the, uh, the myrrh was to represent the suffering Messiah, the suffering servant, that Jesus would die on the cross for our sins. You see, to make it personal to each of you here today, and that is this, if you're going to put your faith in Jesus um, uh, to save you, it is just as simple as calling out on the name of the Lord. Romans ten thirteen says this, listen closely, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I believe that technology of today's age has cheapened that verse just a little. You see, because now we have cell phones. Before cell phones, there were house phones. Before house phones, there were telegraphs. And you could call someone through these various means. But see, when Romans chapter 10 was written, the idea of calling on someone 
You called out on someone when you were in trouble and you needed help. I want you to imagine that you're drowning in an ocean and there's a boat coming by and it's your last chance of survival and you call out with all your might and strength for that boat to come over and rescue you. That's the type of, of urgency and plea God is looking from for you. No, you're not drowning in an ocean, but you are drowning in your own sin. And if you die in that sin, you're going to die under your sin curse and you're going to spend eternity separated from God in hell. But Jesus is offering you a lifeline through salvation purchased purchased through the life of Jesus Christ. They brought Jesus gifts that day and now Jesus through His life is offering you a gift called eternal life. The suffering. We see here the gifts that were tangible. Quickly, letter B, notice the intangible. We see the tangible. How about the intangible? And I'm going to move quickly here, but notice they brought the Lord their time. They gave the Lord their time. Uh, First, we don't know how many wise men there were. Uh, You all know the song, We Three Kings of Orient are... And I don't remember the rest of the words, all right? Uh, But uh, We Three Kings, you all know the song. We don't know how many... First of all, they probably weren't kings, but uh, we, we, we just mess everything up with our Christmas carols, don't we? Um, we don't know how many there were. They were magi. Uh, they were astrologers, most likely, from uh, Iran, the Iran area. But we know this, they brought three gifts, and oh, what a trip they took. Now, I did some research, and um, I looked up walking directions for, on Google Maps, walking directions from the center of Iran, where I believe they would have originated, to Bethlehem. And now this is with the current modern road system in place, okay? It would take you 440 hours of walking to walk from the middle of Iran to the city of Bethlehem. Now, if you take 440 and you divide it by 24, you come up with 18 days of straight walking. We know they didn't walk that in 18 days, and if there were many of them, it would have taken them uh, even longer. The larger the group, the longer it takes to travel, and uh, no doubt there was a preparation time of getting ready to go, and uh, they, they made that trip not on modern roads. They would have had to take in a different road system. What am I getting at here? These magi, they set everything aside in their life. They left behind families. They left behind friends. They left behind work. They left behind everything in their lives. They put their entire lives on hold and said, we're going to go and find this Messiah, find this Christ child, and we're going to worship Him. We're going to give Him our time. We're going to give Him our time. This Christmas season, let me just encourage you to not be casual about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What I see in 2021, and in comparison when I was a little boy going to church, and even young in the pastorate, young in the assistant pastor, is that people used to give their entire Sunday to the Lord, and now we give Him an hour or two on Sunday. Well, we used to give our entire week to the Lord. We'd think about Him, we'd read our Bible, we'd pray. Now we pigeonhole Him in and schedule Him in wherever we can. And listen, God does not want us to give Him less time As the years go by, He wants us to give Him more time, more time. We see the intangible. Not only they give Him their time, they gave Him their treasure, their treasure. It's easy for us to look back at history and see a set of facts and separate it out 
of the human emotion. While we see the significance of what the gift uh, meant, the gifts meant, let us not fail to understand the sacrifice and personal loss that these men were willing to endure. You get the idea that maybe they just had gold, frankincense, and myrrh laying around, and you know they just took their excess and gave. That may not be the case. That may have cost them a great deal of their personal fortune. They may have sacrificed a great deal of their personal fortune and gone back poor or uh, far more poor than they were when they gave. Yes, they gave of their time, but they also gave of their treasure because they valued the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only did they give of their time and their treasure, they gave of their talents. By the significance of the gifts, it is obvious that these men had taken the intelligence that God had given them and invested it into understanding biblical prophecy. Now, this is my opinion. I can't prove this, uh, but I I have a pretty good idea this is probably the case. And if I'm wrong, we'll find out when we get to heaven. Amen? I think that these men came from Babylon, from what had been the Babylonian Empire. You remember Daniel had been carried away in the Babylonian captivity into uh, Babylon where he lived for 70 years. And in the book of Daniel... Daniel prophesied a, a prophecy of, of 70 sets of seven years. And he said that once the uh, Israelites had been set free from their captivity and sent home to rebuild, the clock would start 69 times 7. That amount of years would be until the Messiah would die and be cut off. And so these men had studied that prophecy and they knew that they were living in the time where Jesus would be born. And so when that star appeared in the sky, they knew exactly what that star meant because they had been reading and studying the prophecies of Daniel. They gave their talent of their intelligence. They studied. They looked after. They were diligent. I think of the verse in, uh, that Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. They gave of their time. They gave of their uh, treasures. They gave of their talent. What am I getting here this uh, evening, Christian? Please don't miss what I'm saying. I spoke, took a moment and spoke to those who've not received Christ as their Savior. I encourage you to do that. But to the rest of you here, the majority of you here, that have put your faith and trust in Christ, here is the point. Give of those things that are the intangibles of your life and be devoted to the service of the King. Be devoted. Be devoted. Listen, don't be casual about your faith. We live in a time and era. Jesus is getting ready to come back, I believe. His return is imminent. It could happen at any time. But I look around and I see people who are just uh, uh, comfortable with being casual in their faith. They want to float in and float out of church when it's convenient. They, they want to have a casual type Christianity, my friend. The day of casual Christianity might be today. But what God is looking for is for us to be on fire ready. Red hot for the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, study your Bible. Memorize your Bible. Fall in love with the Lord. Give the Lord the gift of yourself this Christmas season. These men gave of their time. They left everything behind. They put their lives on pause as they took this journey. They gave of their treasures. Yes, we see the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But they they also gave that which cost them greatly. They gave of their talent, their intellect, to know exactly what the star would mean. Number one, we see the presence of the Magi quickly. Number two, notice the posture of the Magi. Look down at verse number 11, Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 11. The Bible says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. 
Uh, look at that with me again. Uh, let's read it slow. I, there's something out here I want you to see. It says, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Notice the order. Notice the order. This is so important. They worshipped before they gave. They worshipped before they gave. Many people are busy serving their family, but they're not taking the time to worship God first. Many people are busy serving a boss and they're not taking the time to first worship God. Many people are even busy serving God at the church house. But again, they're not taking time to worship the God who created the church. Before you can properly give of your time, treasures, and talent to the Lord, you have to make sure you take time to get on your knees and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. You remember the church of Ephesus? You remember the letter written to the church of Ephesus in, in Revelation? Jesus reprimanded the church and threatened to put out their light. Why? Their candle, candlestick. Why? Because they had every I dotted and every T cross as far as the church goes, but they had fallen out of love with their Lord. God is not simply just concerned about you being a good dad or a good mom or a good grandfather or a good grandmother or a good employee or a good church member. First and foremost, He wants to know that you walk with Him and you talk with Him. I've seen many Christians faithfully serve God and then all of a sudden they throw in the towel and they quit. They may or may not sit on a pew after that, but they throw on the towel and quit. Can I tell you why I think that happens? Because they were serving God without walking with God. They were working for God without walking with God. Listen, I'm all for you ladies working in the nursery. I'm all for the soul winning program of our church. Well, we have a robust soul winning program. And those of you that are new don't know what that is. That's just where we go tell people about Jesus. We've got a robust soul winning program at our church. But my friend, don't you forget to get down on your knees each and every day and walk with your God and love on your God. Tomorrow morning before we rip off wrapping paper and we get all excited about Christmas Day and whether you enjoy the getting or the giving, make sure you take some time and you walk with God. Number three, and lastly, we see the protection for the Magi. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says, And being warned of God in a dream, they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. They were busy honoring the God born among man, so God made sure to protect them. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him will I trust. I can't promise you that if you serve God with your life, that nothing bad will ever happen to you. In fact, the opposite is probably true. You serve God with your life, He's going to send storms and troubles and trials your way to test and grow your faith. But I would rather, I think I said this Sunday morning, I would rather have the rain of, said it Sunday evening, 
I would rather have the rain of life fall on my head while I'm standing on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ than have the rain of life fall on my head while I'm standing on the shifting sand of culture and self-worship. Boy, um, when you are serving God, nothing happens to you without God first signing off on it. Nothing. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. I think that verse is oftentimes misunderstood and misquoted. We, we want to quote that first part. And we know that all things work together for good. Ah. To them that love God, not to them that love themselves, to them that love God, and to them that are the called according to His purpose. When we walk with God and we work for God, we get His protection. We get His divine providence working out every trouble and trial in our life. This Christmas season, we look at the gifts they gave King Jesus. And I would ask each of you this. What gift will you give the Lord on His birthday? What gift will you give the Lord on His birthday? Oh, we give our kids gifts. We give our spouses gifts. We give gifts to each other. But boy, we need to make sure this Christmas season we don't leave Jesus out of the gift giving. He deserves our everything. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, what are you waiting for? He's offering you the free gift of eternal life. Boy, open up your heart and receive it. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to open up the Bible this Christmas Eve. Look at these three men who sacrificed a whole lot in order to meet you where you were. Give you these things. We think of the gift that was purchased with your life on the cross. Lord God, you don't need our good works for salvation because you've already paid the price with the life of your Son. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thought that the Christmas story is an arrow that points to that Easter Sunday where you rose from the dead. Lord, you're alive. You're alive today. And Lord Jesus, you want to save the lost. And we pray, Lord, that if there's one here tonight that's not put their faith and trust in you, they would do so before it's too late. Lord, for the rest of us, may we be committed this year, this next calendar year, to give our lives to you. May we live for you. May we be more dedicated and devoted to you than we've ever been. Grow us and help us to love you in Jesus' name.